watch all of the parts. And even when it's over, you can watch the parts. Okay, but it's been a tremendous, you know, month of February is all about love, right? But we live in a world that really doesn't have a good understanding of what love is. It's very superficial and it doesn't last. And so that's why we've really taken the time to, to unpack this whole idea of what is love. And we started out talking about a, a relationship with God and the love that he gives us and what, what that relationship looks like. And then, and then we, we, we kind of revolved each one of the talks around this, this idea of called a covenant. Okay, we've been talking about this idea. And, and what a covenant is, it's a serious spiritual bond between two or more people or parties. Where people come together and they make an agreement, hey, we're going to be really, really close. And it really started with, with God and Abraham. And then before that, a man and a woman. And that's why we talked about marriage because, you know, a lot of people don't have an understanding of what it is. So we started week one with God and us. And then, then week two, we looked at marriage. And week three, we talked about what happens in a marriage when the lights go out, when love is not illuminated. And we talked about divorce. And it was a really tough talk uh, that we had last week. And so if you're into that kind of thing, you can go to the website and you can, you can watch it again and again. But I wanted to just follow up on last week's talk because it's, it's really important that you understand uh, we are not a full-service church. Okay, because we, we can't help people with every single problem. And a lot of churches, they believe that. They believe with God, they can do everything. Uh, we believe we can do a lot with God's help. But sometimes marriages reach a point where they're in deep trouble. And they've got some serious problems. And see, people are complicated. I don't know if you know that or not. Look, look to the person next to you on your right and say, yeah, maybe complicated for sure. And you're, you're left, you know? Maybe complicated. Okay, we're we're joking around. Okay, we're we're joking around about this, but life gets complicated. You know, when you, when you talk about people's background, what they've been through in their lives, some of the hurt that they're carrying around. Uh, you know, life life is a matter of of, of journeys, ups and downs. Armando, if you could help me with the echo, I would really appreciate. They would appreciate that. But, you know, you, you have seasons in your life, and some of those seasons include mental illness, depression. And those are serious needs. And so I didn't talk about this last week, but I really wanted to talk about it this week because there are, there are so many resources out there, and, and I believe we've got resources here in the church. We've got mature couples in our church that can really help. When your marriage is in a crisis... I would encourage you to go to them. We've got two great elders, uh, Joe and Dave, and, and their marriages, you know, withstood a lot. We've got other couples that have been through tremendous challenges, and they're standing strong today. And, you know, if you're thinking about getting your, taking your relationship to the next level, if you're, if you're dating, you know what I'm talking about, Hector? You know? It's, it's important that you, you learn from somebody, that you get the help that you, that you need. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of books, you know, because there's sometimes when marriages are in serious crisis and there's books out there that can really help when you decide to study it together. Uh, you know, there's things, there's, there's uh, faith-based counseling. Uh, there's some situations that, that you can get even, even more intense on the internet, a wealth of information. 
Uh, in fact, uh, one brother told me about this conference that they have. Uh, it's a workshop seminar over the weekend for couples that you would consider a 911 marriage, a 911 marriage, meaning they're at the breaking point. And you can sign up for this conference, and you can go to this conference, and it can be very, very helpful. Some of our couples have gone through that. You know, as a church, we've got grief recovery. We've got uh, divorce care. There's so many resources out there, but it really is a question of you taking initiative. So we want to do as much as we can as a church, but I want to just say this. There are things that are outside of our scope as a church. And, and so that's why we refer people, hey, get the help you need, but don't give up, don't quit. Because God feels really strongly about that. So enough, enough said on that topic. And, and we talked about this, this, this uh, verse that I just flashed on the screen, but let's move forward. Today we're going to talk about friendships. We're going to talk about friendships. Lasting, deep friendships. When we talk about the world that we live in, would you say, what is the quality of the relationships that people have? Would you say it's really tight and close where people can, can, can just bear their soul and, and they're going to be friends for, for a lifetime and they're going to help each other get through thick and thin? You know, the truth of the matter is there's a lot of loneliness right now in our world. There's a lot of isolation. And people, they, they, they go through this thing that's an imitation friendship, you know, where, will you friend me? You know, and, and that's not really what we're talking about today. We're talking about somebody that's going to be there when you go through the hard times of your life. In fact, we're talking about the kind of friendship that if it weren't for that person in your life, you wouldn't be able to reach the full potential in your life. That's what friends can be, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And, and it's this kind of relationship. It's a relationship that's bigger than our personal pursuit of happiness. When you talk about love, a lot of times it's all about happiness. Happiness is not, in God's eyes, his view, happiness is not the goal in relationships. You know what the goal is in God's view of relationships? Unity. Let's be close. Because there's going to be moments of unhappiness in this relationship. But if we focus on being unified first, being close, then we're going to be happy. And then we're going to experiment some incredible joy together. Amen. And so today we're going to be looking at faithful friends. What's it mean to be a faithful friend? And we're going to look at a, an example in the scriptures in the Old Testament. It's, it's an incredible example of, of two individuals. And it's two guys. Okay, I got to say it's two guys. But there's also another example we're not going to look at today of two women. Okay, and I, and I would encourage you to look at these. Today we're going to look at Jonathan and David. And there's another one of two women. Can, can somebody in the Old Testament tell me about this special relationship between two women? Ruth and Naomi. Ruth and Naomi. Bam, comes right out. People know their Bible in this group. But this we're going to look at today because they made a specific covenant between the two of them. It was a covenantal relationship where they decided, and we're going to unpack it today, this whole idea of making a spiritual bond between two people. And, you know, David and Jonathan really needed each other, but it came from this conviction, Proverbs 18, 24. It says, a man who has friends must be himself, must himself be friendly. And it's more than just, ha, ha, friendly. 
It means you've got to have a desire and a priority. I want to be involved in relationships. If you're going to have friends, if you're going to have friends, you've got to, you've got to see the value of friendships. You've got to give yourself, I want to be a friend. And then it says here, but there is a friend that, who sticks closer than a brother. You know, our family relationships can sometimes be the closest relationships we'll ever experience. What the Bible's saying here is there is a level of friendship that's even closer than our family relationships. And I can honestly say that in the last 30 years, I've experimented that. And I got really good relationships with my family, but I can honestly say my closest relationships are with people that we share a common soul bond together. And we're going to unpack this whole idea of a soul bond. Okay, so if you've got some soul, which all of you do, you have a soul, we're going to learn about a soul bond. Okay, it's a deep, deep connection between two people. And so we're going to unpack this. It starts in Samuel 14. We first get to know Jonathan. We're not going to look at all the verses around these two guys because it's, it's impressive. But Jonathan is the son of King Saul. He's a prince. And if you know anything about princes, they, they have a sense of entitlement. They're, they're in line to be king next. So they're being groomed all the time. In, pa- in fact, if you know this about Prince William, you know, he's, he's going to be king after his mother passes. He's next in line. He's a prince. He's going to be a king. So, you know, even this guy, I don't know if you know this, a professional tennis player, his name is Andrew Murray, multi-million dollar tennis player, ATP. I mean, he's like, he's up there. He's a very prominent British guy. He was playing at a tournament in, in, in England, in the Wimbledon tournament. And when Prince William showed up and Kate, you know, what, you know what Andrew Murray did right there on the center stage in front of the whole group of people? Tens of thousands of people. He bowed to Prince William out of respect. That's who this guy was, Jonathan. He was a prince in line to be king. But it was something special because he was a warrior. And in this situation in Sam, 1 Samuel 14, you know, the Israelite army was in trouble. And he and his armor bearer decided, you know what? we're going to put our trust in God and we're going to try to turn this battle around. And so he told his armor bearer, hey, let's go see if God will bless us and let's turn this battle. And so he entrusted his life to God and said, God, I'm going to put my life on the line for your army and for you. And he went and and, and basically turned the tide of the battle, killed 20 Philistines, him and his armor bearer by themselves. And it just, I mean, it turned things around. They won the battle that day. A very courageous act, Jonathan. So there's something special about Jonathan. Then we fast forward to chapter 17, and we, we, we learn about David, a shepherd boy. He's not a prince. He is a country boy who took care of sheep, you know? And, but he had this special thing in his heart for God because he saw one day they were on the battlefield, and there was this nine-foot giant. You say nine-foot. There's nobody nine-foot. No, no, there there's actually evidence of people that, that get nine feet tall. Okay, in the 1940s, there was, a, there was a guy who was eight foot seven. Can you imagine that? Average height of a person in Israel at this time, approximately 5'8". Five 5'8", eight. Five eight, nine feet. 
You're like right here, okay? I mean, he's a small guy, but he doesn't look at Goliath and says, he says, you know what? I'm taking you down in the name of the Lord. And he did. He killed the Philistine and turned the, uh, turned the whole thing around, won the battle. And on that day, after David was holding Goliath's head up in front of the Israelite army saying, God is with us and God can conquer any army and we will win today. Everybody rallies. And that's where Jonathan and David got close. And we're going to look at that part. And, 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 and here's something that they had in common, both of them. They were warriors. And this is just a little commercial for April for our men's ministry. We're going to be starting and we're going to be studying out this book, A Call to Men Everywhere to Be Warriors. This is how God created us. But these two guys were warriors. They're warriors for God. And so they come together in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. It says, after David had finished talking to Saul, Saul was the king at that time, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and loved him as he loved himself. This is powerful. It basically says that Jonathan had a, had a, a soul connection with David. Their souls were knitted together. This was a loyalty. This was something special. Jonathan looked at David and said, you know what? You and I have something in common. And I respect you. And I want to be, I want to have a close friendship with you like no other. And so he, he, he felt this, this, this kindred spirit and he loved him as he loved himself. Meaning, in other words, you know, I'm ready to put my life in your hands. And this happens on the battlefield with, with soldiers a lot of times. You go on in verse 3 and 4, it says, And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan took off the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword and, he bowed, and his, his bow and his belt. This is huge. Because basically what Jonathan is saying, he, remember he's a prince. Who's David? David's a shepherd boy. He's elevating Jonathan. He's basically saying, Jonathan, I mean, David, I, I want to elevate you and I want to elevate our friendship. That you and I are going to have a soul bond, a deep relationship where we're going to watch each other's back. And you and I are going to go to battle together and we're going to defend God's cause and God's kingdom. And again, it says, he loved him as himself. This word loved here. Now, i got to mention this. I even hate the fact that I've got to mention this because this is how the world is that we live in because people take this and they, they twist it. They twist it. Okay, what kind of relationship did Jonathan and David have? And there's people out there, they take this scripture and they said, maybe they had a man-to-man relationship, if you know what I'm talking about. There's been people in the religious arena that have used this passage to justify a homosexual relationship. And I hate that I have to mention it, but it's important because it comes up. Okay, we're talking leaders, people in religious levels, leaders, and they use, they say, well, he loved him as he loved himself. What's that mean? Well, let me, let me tell you how important this is. You've got to study your Bible. See, because you and I have one word, love. There's lots of types of loves, right? 
There's friendship love. There's, there's a, a, you know, agape love, which is a really deep love. You know, there's, there's eros love. That's a, more of an erotic love. In, in other languages, in the Hebrew language, there's two different words for love in this context. One of them is, that's not in this verse, is yada. And it comes up in other verses where it describes a homosexual relationship. It's very specific. But this word is ahab, ahab. And this word means a soul bond. So, if you want to know what the Bible's really teaching, you can unpack it and you can study it. And that's why it's important for you and I to know our Bibles because there's a lot of people out there that want to twist things. And it's very easy to find out, especially today, what the Bible's really teaching. So the very idea that they're insinuating, that someone's insinuating that this, this relationship can justify somebody's personal sexual preference, absolutely not. You just throw it right out. It has nothing to do with it. This is a manly man relationship, a soul bond, two soldiers in battle, ready to give each other their lives and die for each other and die for God. Very, very powerful. But the very fact that Jonathan took off his robe, what kind of robe are we talking about as a prince? The best. His war coat. You know, I mean, it was, it, was, it was something for a prince to take off his war coat and give it to a shepherd boy. This is significant. He's basically disrobing himself. And he gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Okay, let's talk about a soldier in combat. What's the most precious thing that a soldier has? Weapon. At M16 and probably, you know, the revolver. Those, you got to have those. If you're going to be a soldier, you got to have those. That's how you defend yourself. That's how you go, to, you go to battle. He gives that to David. And this is powerful. You don't get much deeper and more powerful than and even his belt. And then after this, shortly thereafter, this, things go bad for David. See, because David is being elevated as a champion. God is blessing him, he's using him, and King Saul is, feels threatened by David because the word out is that David is going to be the king, not Jonathan, after Saul is gone. So Saul thinks, I'm going to kill David. And so David's on the run. Now here's the interesting thing about Jonathan and David. Jonathan has to choose between his dad and his friend David. And the, the, the thing that he does that's so impressive about Jonathan's heart is he weighs in on the spiritual level. Because people say that blood is very thick, don't they? But spiritual blood is even more thick than physical blood. The blow-away thing is Jonathan chooses his friendship with David over his sonship as Saul's son. And he has to make this choice. Who am I going to be loyal to? And we pick it up in, in chapter 20, verse 14. But show me unfailing love. This is Jonathan reaffirming their covenant. But show me unfailing kindness, the Lord's kindness, as long as you live, so that I may not be killed and do not ever and will not ever be cut off from your kindness from my family. 
Not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. See, Jonathan kind of knew what was going to be happening in the future. David would be elevated. Saul would be brought down. And this is something that we don't realize enough. When you fail and you do things the wrong way, it doesn't just affect you. It affects your family. And David, uh, Jonathan saw what was happening to his father Saul. He was going in the wrong direction. He said, this is going to affect me. So David, I need assurance from you that when my dad is gone, that you're going to show me and my what? My family kindness. You know, here's something I want to say about our friendships. If, if, if you form a friendship with somebody that's like this, it's not going to just affect you. It's going to affect your children and their children. It has huge potential. So that's why I feel it's so important that you and I don't settle for superficial, surfacey relationships, that we go deep and we form these soul bonds with each other. Just like Jonathan and David. This is powerful. And this may be the last time that they see each other. And so Jonathan wants to reaffirm it. Verse 16 and 17. So Jonathan made a covenant. He reaffirms it. This isn't just you and me, David. Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, meaning his whole family, saying, the Lord... May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. A soul bond. And, you know, I, I have been able to see this happen. It's not just, you know, our family, but when you make a friendship with somebody, it affects your children. Uh, in a couple of weeks... A dear friend of mine, his daughter's getting married in Tucson, Arizona. We got to go to that because our kids are close. It's not just that we're close, our kids are close. We got to go and our kids got to go because it's this kind of relationship. And I'm talking about the Amayas, Elena Amayas getting married in a couple of weeks. I wouldn't miss it. You know, even if it is a, a 14 hour drive within a span of 24 hours. That's okay. Because it's about our family and it's about our children's children. And this is what God can do. Why would you settle for superficial relationships? And that's what God wants for us. That's what God wants to give us. So a prince resigns himself, he disrobes himself and says, hey, I want to lift you to my level. I want you, David, to be at my level. I'm no longer a prince. I'm with you. Now, fast forward to the New Testament. We're going to see an example of Jesus, how he did a similar thing with his disciples. Jesus was a prince. He's, he's known in the book of Isaiah as the prince of peace, king of kings. And we're going to look at this time when Jesus was around with his disciples, the 12 disciples, and he does something special. John chapter 13, verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. It, it, it was like a premonition that, God, you've, you've put it, I'm in charge now. And he had come from God, and he was returning to God. 
Jesus has a realization that he is the most powerful person in the universe at this point. That's pretty intense, isn't it? He has all authority, all power. It's under his hand. What do you do when you're the most powerful person on the planet and the universe? Let's watch what Jesus does knowing this. Verse verse 4, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing. Sound familiar? And he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began washing the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel wrapped around him. Do you know this job that Jesus is doing was for servants? It was for slaves. Back in this time, you had a servant at your house, and when you had guests at your house, guess what? They come in with dirty feet because there were no paved roads. Dirty, dusty, stinking feet. And so you offer a service, you say, hey, sit down right here, and we're going to wash your feet. But you know, if you were an Israelite, and you had an Israelite servant, slave, you wouldn't let that Israelite servant or slave wash feet. This had to be somebody who was an outsider from another country. This was the lowest of the low in terms of jobs and responsibility. They wouldn't let Israel slaves do this. This had to be a foreigner, foreign slave. What Jesus is doing here is, is, is it's blow away. He's, he's basically, I'm, I'm a prince, I'm a king, and I'm disrobing myself and, 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 and in the appearance of a slave, not just a slave, the lowest slave of slaves. And right after this, Peter sees Jesus and he just feels, he just feels like this, this, no, no way, you're not going to do this, Jesus. He says, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. I won't, I won't have it. Let me wash your feet. Jesus says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you can have no part in my ministry. And typical Peter, what does he say? Okay, then wash my feet and wash my head and wash my, my whole body. Just wash me over, Peter. He says, no, you just need to wash your feet. Calm down, Peter. But it was such a shock for Peter. Then after he's done, he washes their feet. Look at what happens when he finished washing their feet. He put on his clothes and he returned to his place and he asked this question. Do you understand what I've done for you? Do you understand this? And I I, I think the immediate answer would be, I I don't know if I do understand this. This This is blow away. Why are you washing my feet? Why are you washing our feet? Guess who was at the table that night when he washed the feet? His betrayer. How hard do you think it was for Jesus to wash Judas's feet? I could see Peter once you get past the dirt and the smell. But Judas's feet, the same feet that have blood on his feet, because he's, he's going to betray Jesus for money. How hard would it have been? And so he's asking them, do you guys get it? Do you guys get what I'm doing here? And so in case there's any question, he explains it. In verse 13, he says, you call me teacher and Lord. In other words, Messiah. And rightly so, for that's what I am. He's confirming it. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so you should 
so, all, so also you should wash one another's feet. So what's Jesus saying here? The same thing that Jonathan did with David by disrobing himself and saying, hey, I'm a prince, but I'm turning it over to you. What's Jesus doing here? I'm turning it over to you. He's teaching the disciples, if you ever get elevated to a high level of a position, what should you do when you're the most important person in the room? Serve them. And not just serve them, serve the dirtiest job in the room. And he's saying that this is the platform for relationships. What makes relationships special? You want to have a great marriage? Wash each other's feet. In other words, serve each other. Don't look out for your interests. Look out for their interests first. Put their needs before your needs. And he goes on and says, verse 15, I have set an example for you that you should do as I've done for you. And this sets as an example for you and I. If you want to have a great friendship, what should you do? Are you willing to disrobe yourself and put on the clothes of a servant? This is what makes awesome friendships when you're looking out for the needs of others first above your own. That's what Jonathan did. That's what Jesus did in the most powerful way imaginable. He's setting the stage. I'm not just going to wash your feet. I'm going to wash your sins away. You know all that, that nasty stuff that you've been doing for years that you're ashamed of that nobody knows about? I know about it. I know exactly what you've been doing. I know where you've been. I know all the dirt. I got all the dirt on you. And I'm going to wash that. Not with water. With my blood. But I want you to do that for each other. I want you to be there for each other. What kind of relationships is Jesus saying to us as a church and if you're here visiting today, I want you to understand what Jesus intended for church relationships to be like was close ones. Ones where we serve each other and we're there for each other. That's why in the first century, right after Jesus left and in charge of the ministry, let's look at a picture of how the church was. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says here, those first 3,000 what were the relationships like? It says here that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This word here, koinonia, fellowship, means a self-serving commitment for the others, for the good of others. It was powerful. This word here, devoted, you know what it means? Addicted. They had an addiction problem to the fellowship. In other words, they needed each other. They understood what Jonathan and David understood. If I don't have this relationship, I'm not going to reach my full potential as a spiritual person, as a husband, as an as a, as a individual, as a son of God. I'm never going to reach my full potential unless I have these relationships. Now let's fast forward to today. 
would you say that characterizes our relationships in the church? We need some work. And that's why we're doing this study. We looked at what we looked at last week because we need some work. And the week before, and the week before, because we need to grow. And, and this is for all of us. We've got to take our relationships to another level or we will limit what happens in our lives. And not just our lives, but guess who else? Our children. See, the decisions that you make, the relationships that you have, will affect your children and your children's children. And they knew this. And that's why they were so devoted to each other and, and they, were, they were into helping each other. They took care of each other's needs and it was a spiritual thing. You know, I really want to lift up our, 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 the people that put together our, our prayer night on Friday night. There are about 60 of us there together and it was such an awesome night to do this. You know, we open the scriptures together, we pray together, just to hear each other pray. I mean, it, it was so awesome. Do you know, do you know this? That scientists are now discovering that you and I are hardwired for spirituality. I'm going to blow your mind. They're doing studies and research on the brain. They're putting like wires on people's brain. That when they pray or they're involved in some spiritual activity, how does it affect the brain? Do you know what they're finding? That the brain, not just one part, the whole thing, it lights up. And so they're, they're drawing the conclusion that you and I, like it or not, we're hardwired for spirituality. It's a part of who we are. It's our DNA. So when we do this, something happens, and then when we connect with each other and with God, it's powerful. Friday night was powerful. I was so encouraged. You know, we need to do it more. But here's what we're seeing with what Jesus did. We've got friends here, and Jesus creates a spiritual bond like any other relationship. Now, I've got to warn you, there's fine print. Fine print. It's messy. Just like any relationship, it's not happy all the time. Right? It's messy. And you and I have to understand, if we're going to engage in this relationship, it's going to be difficult at times. There's going to be difficulties. But we're going to be committed to each other because we're not about the happiness. We're about the unity. And once we get past the challenges, we can elevate our relationship. But Jesus does this. There were dark times in Jesus' ministry with his disciples. Highs and lows. You can read about it in the book of Acts. But this connection that happens between friends that Jesus creates. So I want to leave you with a couple of uh, uh, things that I, I feel like as a church we need to grow in. Okay, are you ready for this? Now, if you're a guest, you get to just sit and listen and go, wow, yeah, I agree. They need to, you guys need to work on this. You know, because when I came this morning, you know, this or that, you just get to listen. But for those of us who are we signed up for this. We're followers of Jesus. Uh, Jonathan, where are you? Is it Jonathan? Jordan, Jordan. You getting you get baptized? This afternoon, right? Vanessa, where are you at, Vanessa? She's way in the back. 
She's getting ready. Good. You're both signing up for this. You got to understand. Jesus, when he said, I'm washing your feet, but I want you to wash each other's feet, is saying, I want you to have as my followers these kinds of relationships. So let's just go through these. You and I need to share the same spirit to glorify God. I don't want to lift up God. I want God to be elevated in my life. Number two, that we'll serve each other and our friends. Okay, so let's get specific. Uh, this, this morning, uh, I, I passed out some love notes to some of you, okay? Okay, some of you that walk in late. I got a confession to make. Can I make a confession here? Okay, at 8.30 in the morning when I do the lesson, I've got to be here at 8.30 in the morning to be with the teachers of our children's classes, okay? And I got to make a confession that not every time that I preach do I get there at 8.30. I get there a little after 8.30. And I was doing this class, and I said, you know what? I got to stop doing that. I, I, I got I to serve my brothers and sisters and get there early, early, okay? So I, I gave some of you a little note when you walked in. Isaiah, you got that? Remember I gave you a little note? not calling you out, not put you on blast. This isn't to make anybody feel bad. This is to help us improve so we can be better. Right? Because it says something. When we come early to church as, as brothers and sisters, when we come early to church, it says something. I'm in this for you. Okay? If you're a guest, I just want you to come. I don't care if you're like 10 minutes. Try to get here on time, but I just want you to be here. Okay? That's all. Okay, you get, a, you get a pass once in a while. All right? But this is what it means. And then there's other things. When we have group meetings, when we get, our, get together in our small groups that will be there for each other, that will make this commitment, hey, I'm here for you. You be there for me. And I know all of us got our challenges. You know, I want to mention a couple, uh, the, the Strobels. You know how long it takes for them to get their son ready for church? Their, their exceptional need child, Brock, you know how long it takes him to get him ready? Some days? Three hours. That's a long time. So for them to get here early and on time, it's a lot of work. Okay? So you and I, we don't have that. Some of you, I know you come all the way from Whittier, you're coming from Fontana, you come from far away. I, I appreciate that. But let's, let's be there for each other. Then number three is to build and, uh, and grow deep relationships. I know some of you take pride and you got good relationships. Hey, let's go deeper. Let's take it to another level in our relationships. But let's also be realistic about how many. How many relationships could Jesus keep really close at one time? I'm sorry? Twelve. Okay. Now, within the twelve, how many were the really, really, really close ones? Three. Okay, so let's be realistic. How many real, deep, covenant relationships can we have at one time? Probably three. I know some of you are, you know, amazing. You can do more. But you got to be realistic. If we're going to have these relationships, can't be with everybody. But that's why we have small groups. Because you can do that. You can be close to a few people. Well, I don't like the people in my small groups. Well, let me ask you this. <laughs> Mike. Do you like every teen in your ministry? Don't answer. Don't answer that. 
David, where are you, David? In the back? David, do you like all of your college students? Don't answer that. I got news for you, brother or sister. You don't like your group. They may not like you. I know that's a shock. Shocker. But you know what? It's not about like. Jesus did not like Judas. But he loved him. He loved him. You know, and, and, and let's be honest, and you've been in the church a little while, it, it's challenging. We get, there's some betrayal that goes on. We get hurt. People let us down. They leave, or they do this, or they go there, and they, no, I'm done with you. It hurts. I get that. Jesus went through all of that times a million, and he still keeps loving. We got to grow in this. Okay, so you don't like your small group? I want to encourage you to build relationships. My first experience in the campus ministry when I was 21 years old, there were some people that were interesting in our campus ministry. But I decided, you know, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to love them no matter what. We're going to be bonded and soul partners. And then think and live generational. This isn't just about you, guys. It's not just about us that are here in the room. It's about the people that are going to come after us. And we have to ensure, do you know that most churches die with the generation that started it? Can I, can I even, this, even this temple where we meet is dying. Do you know why? Because all the people, are, they're literally dying, physically dying. Because they weren't thinking generational. And it happens to churches, synagogues, all kinds of groups. It'll happen to us if we don't start thinking generational. If we don't start thinking, hey, I've got to ensure that the next generation has it as good as I had it, if not better. And that means the quality of the relationships that we have in this room right now is going to determine the quality of the relationships that are going to be happening in the future. Let's make them great. Let's have some really good talks in our small group and saying, hey, let's take it to the next level. And then the last one is offer each other's spiritual protection. And that's what I love about David and Jonathan, man. They had each other's back. If somebody comes for you, they got to go through me. Then we're going to be there for each other. When you're hurting, you're discouraged, you're depressed, you're, you're going through a hard time, I got to tell you guys, I don't know where I'd be. I'd be a basket case if it weren't for the brothers and sisters that have helped me through very difficult times. Because I can bear my soul. I can tell people, man, I'm going through a really difficult time. And they help me. They lift me up. And they provide spiritual protection. So let's wrap this up. Jesus said this in John 15, verse 12 through 14. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. How did Jesus love? We got a ways to go. But let's love like he did. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his, for his own, for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus is taking off the robe of son of God 
And he's saying, I want a friendship with you. And I want you to be friends. This isn't about one-upsmanship. This is about let's help each other. Let's be there for each other. He laid down his life so we could have these kinds of covenant relationships. Let's do this. You can't get a higher price on our relationships than Jesus' life. So we're going to take the communion right now. And I really want to encourage you to, to think about this and think about your quality of your relationships and make some decisions. Hey, let's go to the next level. It's going to take some time. There may need to be some talks. But I believe Jesus is worth it. And let's follow the model of Jonathan and David where they said, man, I'm, I got your back. I'm going to be with you. And I'm, gonna, I'm gonna even going to put you as my brother before my family. That's powerful. Let's pray for the communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can remember Jesus, his body and his blood in the taking the communion. Thank you, God, that Jesus laid it all down for us and that he didn't just wash our feet, he washed our soul. He cleansed us of all of our sins. And this week, God, you know there's not a one of us in this room that doesn't have sin. Pray you please forgive us for the things that we've done. Forgive us for more than anything not loving each other the way you desire. Father, I pray for our church. I pray for our relationships that, God, we can go deeper and that we can be there for each other and not give up even when we get hurt that we will love each other deeply. Thank you for Jesus. We lift him up at this time. We lift up our Savior, Jesus, because he gave it all for us. Bless this communion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.